the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, really? Love is too weak a word. If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV. Let's smack it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie. Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. It's time. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 12 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and I am being joined here today with Will. Hi, guys. And Michael Schwartz. How's it going? And it's going pretty well for the most part. I had a great chance to catch up on a lot of films this week, which I am very, very happy to have finally done, uh, um, especially talking about Tom Ford's latest Nocturnal Animals, which, <laughs> I'm sorry to say this, other than screenplay, is probably not an Oscar contender. This this film is way too dark. Way too dark. I thought a lot of people liked Shannon and thought he had a good chance. I, I think so, too. And this is a weak Best Supporting Actor year, but for the most part... Um, is it weak? I think it is. Personally. I mean, I struggle to come up with my top five for that category every single day, and I'm always constantly changing it, so I don't know. I wouldn't call it weak. My personal, I think it's weak in terms of films that stand a viable shot, but I've had to bump out a lot of good performances for my personal top ten. So I think it's weak in terms of actual contenders, but as far as supporting male performances overall this year, I think it's been a strong category. Well, I mean, let's break it down for a minute here. Are we all in agreement that Hugh Grant gets in? Are we talking about in what is like actually stands a chance at getting nominated? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. As far as what actually could get nominated, uh, yeah, Hugh Grant gets in. I still think Mahershala Ali gets in. I don't. Um, Lucas Hedges from Manchester by the Sea. Mm, I think he's in. Right. Just miss out. I think. Well, trust me when you see the film. I think that you'll change your mind. Yeah, uh, it might be the Shailene Woodley type of thing. I, then, and that's an apt comparison. I totally understand where you're coming from with that, but I think people are going to fall head over heels in love with Manchester by the Sea, in which they, they pretty much already have. Have you guys seen that Rotten Tomato score? Yeah, I'll be seeing the movie next week, and I can't wait. I'm just, uh, yeah, we'll see. I'm not saying it does or doesn't, but maybe just miss. As for the last couple slots, uh, Dev Patel gets in for Lion because it's basically a leading role, but it's running supporting. I agree with that. Yeah. And it's still an unknown quantity, but on paper, Liam Neeson looks good. Agreed. Fences has three viable leading uh, supporting men who could get in, any one of them. Adam Driver, in theory, could get in, as could Jeff Bridges. Mm. I think Jeff Bridges is... Uh... What we see now, the winner. I, I, I don't think the win at all. No, the winner. Wait, did you just no say the winner? Would win. Yeah. He's. I mean, not after having won so recently. No way. That was six or seven years ago. But he no longer seems overdue, and it's not. Yeah. It's a good performance, but it's not that different from Rooster Cogburn 
to the yeah, point I mean, that I don't. Are you going to give it to Hugh Grant? Or? No, you're, they're going to give it to Liam Neeson. If even if he's in the film for 15 minutes, if those 15 minutes he knocks out of the park, you bet your ass they're giving it to Liam Neeson. Okay, so no, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. If if Neeson, if Silence disappoints, I don't think Neeson wins. And if Neeson doesn't win, I think Hugh Grant, weirdly enough, would be the most likely on paper contender to win because it's a leading performance. He's campaigning his ass off. He's very well liked, and that is the type of film the older Ampus voting body will go for. Well, let's just hypothetically say that Silence is a bust, Neeson does not get in. I actually start to wonder, because I'm starting to believe that Manchester by the Sea is winning original screenplay over Moonlight, and I, and we all know that Naomi Harris's chances in Best Supporting Actress are done. I think in that scenario, Mahershala Ali becomes the way to reward Moonlight. It could happen. It could happen. And with the year he's having with um, uh, Luke Cage as well being on Netflix, he's got he's got a great narrative. He's also in Hidden Figures. Yeah, yeah, and Hidden Figures. I just don't think he's in the film enough. And that's my problem too, but. I, I, he is the most unknown question mark for me right now in the entire season. So here's the thing, though. I mean, he may not have an Oscar scene, but we're forgetting pre-21st century, the supporting actor winner's field was full of performances that didn't have the quote-unquote Oscar scene. Uh, yes, the voting body has changed, but if there is not a front runner on paper... If silence ultimately doesn't fare well, then I see I see no reason why it couldn't happen. You know what other film I saw this weekend? I saw Bleed for this. So I finally know a little bit about Aaron Eckhart in this movie. And I can say this. He's good. It's nothing great. And it's very, very, very possible that he makes SAG and then he gets uh, nominated for the Oscar. But I don't think he's a critic's darling by any means whatsoever. I think that his work is something that will be respected by other actors, even though it's a type of performance and a type of role that we've seen done by other people in other boxing films before. I just feel like Aaron Eckhart is beloved by his fellow peers, and he's deserving of his first nomination at some point. He's been around forever, but... Uh, I don't think it happens for Bleed for this. Yeah, I don't know that it happens for him, but he's definitely on a path to something happening soon. He was in Sully also this year. He was very good in that. But, I mean, as it stands now, I'm going to stick with Jeff Bridges and see where this goes for a little bit. We just saw Christoph Waltz win two Oscars for what a lot of people said were the similar types of characters. Jason Robards did it back-to-back. I mean, it's happened before. I... You know what? The Christoph Waltz comparison is a really, really good one with Jeff Bridges. And I understand what you mean by that. I think Jeff Bridges gets nominated. Honestly, I do. I really think that the more and more I hear about people reacting to Hell or High Water, it is coming out also on Blu-ray on Tuesday. I think that this film is something that people are definitely going to be remembering come uh, voting time here. And not just here, but also Best Picture, Best Screenplay, possibly Best Director, Best uh, Actor Chris not happening. Pine is in Dr- the mix Director too. is definitely not happening. I'm director sorry. and Actor are not happening. I think Picture, Screenplay, and Supporting Actor nominations are viable. I don't know that it happens necessarily, but it's definitely in the mix. I'd put it in a 15 or 20. I mean, it's... 
Okay, if we're going that far back in terms of uh, films to check off here, yeah, fifteen twenty, sure, I'll I'll give you that. But it's not in the conversation for picture or director. This is a screenplay and uh, supporting actor on its best day, in my opinion. And you don't think picture? No, absolutely not. Oh, I got it in like this number six in picture. Uh, I think I have it in like twelve or thirteen for picture. It could happen. I just don't think it will. Apparently, it's going all around town and uh, just. Screenings here and there, screeners, just a lot of stuff going on with that in CBS Films. It's, I mean, like, Elwood keeps talking about how popular it is among voters. It has stayed in people's minds for sure. Well, let's ask this question because that is a film from the earlier part of the year that could obviously break uh, into the Oscar nominations. Are there any other films from the first part of the year that you feel stand a chance at possibly breaking through? And I'm, I'm going to just come right out and say it right away. I will be a giddy little schoolgirl. I will scream so loud if Swiss Army Man gets a single nomination anywhere. I don't care where it is, just anywhere. What about at the Razzies? Oh, sure. <laughs> come on. I mean, that was well that was well played on your part, but geez. Films that come came out earlier in the year that I think have a chance of showing up anywhere. You guys have both mentioned that you think Viggo Mortensen might stand a chance at a Best Actor nomination for Captain, Captain Fantastic. I'm not sold, but I would love it if it happened. Agreed. Uh, and Scott Feinberg is also predicting the film to get a Best Screenplay nomination. I think it's unlikely because original screenplay stacked, but it could happen. Um, I think Sing Street stands a Best Original Song nomination. Yep. Are we still in agreement that Zootopia is winning Best Animated, or do we think Moana stands a better chance right now? Zootopia and a walk, given everything that's happened happened in the last week and a half in america i think i think zootopia still takes it uh yes there's one more film aside from hell or high water that i think gets into the best picture lineup from earlier this year i know you've uh, called me crazy for having it here but again like hell or high water it's been campaigning uh and I, that's florence foster jenkins you know the more i think about it i do say to myself is it just hugh grant that gets in does merrill get in does the film get in for best picture it makes me wonder I think Merle absolutely gets in. It could happen. I, I think it's going for like picture, Merle, Hugh, screenplay, and score. People also seem to forget how much they absolutely love Stephen Frears. Yeah, no, they never discount a Frears movie. I mean, we, we saw how Philomena went from being a film that was well-reviewed to all of a sudden in didn't make that much of a dent in critics awards to showing up all over Oscar nominations in the morning. That's a classic Academy movie. I don't think Florence Foster Jenkins is to that extreme, but the guys like Tapley have had it firmly in a lot of his predictions just because it is the older voting body members. That's the kind of film they'll really go for. I don't predict it for best picture for a best picture nomination, but it could happen. It could easily happen. I still have it in my predictions for original screenplay. I wonder if you guys uh, still do The Lobster. No, I don't. It's teetering on uh, like a five or six. But uh, I think Critics Awards could give that a nice boost. I agree with the Critics Awards comment. I do think that the Critics Awards will help it stay in the conversation overall. Before we move on from this, just one more person to mention in supporting actor. And I know we're going to talk about his film in a, in a minute. I've heard that Kevin Costner really has some great scenes in Hidden Figures and should not be discounted. I've heard that as well. I don't believe it. You don't believe it? I, I'm not predicting him, but I think he 
so I guess we might as well use this transition. Hidden Figures screened this week and has gotten some positive buzz. Was it Kyle Buchanan who said that he would be astounded if Taraji P. Henson didn't at the very least get a Golden Globe nomination? Which I can understand. I see that happening. Yeah, he thinks she stands a very strong chance at an overall Oscar nomination. All three of uh, Janelle Monet and Octavia Spencer uh, are apparently both strong supporting actress nomination contenders. Janelle Monet looks fantastic in the trailer. She does. And she also is in Moonlight. She's having a good year, too. Uh, and then, they, you know, they like to revisit previous nominees, and Spencer's already won. She could easily be back in. Costner's, you know, Costner's a well-liked guy within the industry. He could pop back up. I don't think he will, but he apparently has some standout scenes. No, I mean, like, it's, they got very good early buzz. We won't know reviews for a few more weeks, but it's definitely worth considering. So I'm going to reveal something about myself right now when it comes to the Oscar race. Anytime this kind of a film rolls around, and the and the comparison I'll make it to is The Blind Side, I always, 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 until the last possible moment when the nominations are actually announced, I will always, always, always undermine uh, these types of films. I just, they don't resonate with me. They're very, very paint by the numbers. It's just so cookie cuttered. I, oh, no, I, this is like my bread and butter. Something like this or The Help. I didn't necessarily like The Blind Side. The Help was another one. Yep, The oh, Help was another I, one. I love these. They're mainstream films that connect on a level that's more than just general. They, they have something to say. I don't know what it is about these films with me, though, but like you're, you're right. They're like these mainstream. They almost feel Disney-like. And I to me, it just... Is that a bad thing, though? Yeah, to me, mm. it is. I, I don't take it seriously. I, I never tend to do so. And it's it's a flaw that I have in my predict in my predicting. I mean, I remember the year The Help came out. I was so adamant that it wasn't getting in for Best Picture, but I knew Octavia Spencer and Viola Davis were getting in, but I was like, there's no way they're going to put the help in Best Picture. Well, boy, oh boy, was I wrong about that. So the bottom line is, I don't look at a film as whether I like it or not. You know, that's that's how we predict Oscars. We have to take out our personal biases in order to predict. I knew the hell... No, 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 it's not even a like thing. I just always feel that the film isn't serious enough that they're going to go for it, but they always surprise me and they do. I mean, The Help, The Help did very well with the guilds and it was a classic Academy movie. I wasn't the least bit surprised when it got in. I mean, this, if in particularly after the whole Oscar so white fiasco, I see no reason why if this gets above average reviews since it already can get in with several performances as well as its its song i see in maybe adapted screenplay i see no reason why it couldn't get a best picture nomination for sure i also always ask myself this question too who's putting that film at number one a lot of meat and potatoes below the line people who go to the films like this the same people who put the help at number one and that's the mistake i always make because i always look at all these other films and i'm like yeah la la land is definitely a number one movie um patriot's day is actually seeming more and more like a number one movie which we'll talk about later on moonlight manchester by the sea but not everyone's going to put a moonlight in manchester by the sea at number one these like but no but, the, but it doesn't stop but it doesn't stop there now i mean there's moonlight only needs a or uh La La Land only needs a certain number of number ones. I think a lot of voters will put it at number one. And to a point, I believe at some point you get so that if it takes up 
a certain number of the overall number one votes, then you start having films get in probably that were number two or something on the ballot because you might not have enough films that can get the full 5% of the number one votes. I'm just trying to imagine if I'm Michael Schwartz right now and I'm filling out my ballot and I've got in my top three films, I've got, uh, let's just say, and Michael, I, I, I don't know if this is accurate. I'm just using an example. Okay. I've got Florence Foster Jenkins at number one. I've got Hidden Figures number two, and I've got Moonlight at number three, right? I, I, I mean, like, I just don't see how many different people are going to take those kinds of films, like a Florence Foster Jenkins, a Hidden Figure, uh, I'm sorry, a Hidden Figures, and put them at number one, and it's going to get enough number one votes, especially when there seems to be so many films this year that have such passion behind them. And I, I, you know what? Maybe that's where you're right, Will. Maybe that is where the twos and threes really start to really matter. And then all you need is a general consensus film. And that's the pitfall that I always find myself falling into. Even with Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, my God, did I not see that coming. I, I, I predicted that. Yeah, see? And that's what, that's, Michael, that's why we need you. We need <laughs> you we, to tell we us. We make the joke sometimes, <laughs> but it also turns out to be true now and then that I'm like, in a lot of ways, an Academy member. Yeah, you're you're a, you're a 75 year old man. <laughs> you know what? And I'm not ashamed of that in regards. A film like The Help, honestly, God, I think The Help is, believe it or not, one of the best films I've ever seen. I really adore that movie, and just for the simplicity of it, which is enough to just you have a good story, and I don't think you always need these flourishes to make it more than it needs to be. And a film like that or Hidden Figures, Florence Washer Jenkins, just give us a good story that's able to connect with people on a level, and you'll be surprised how much it could do. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make two ballots here. I'm going to make a Michael Schwartz ballot that has Sully, Hidden Figures, Florence Foster Jenkins, all getting in for Best Picture. And then I'm going to make another uh, Best Picture ballot that's got, uh, I, Jesus, I don't know. Hacksaw um, Ridge? No, that ain't getting <laughs> in. That is not getting in. Uh, nobody likes Mel Gibson, <laughs> but like, I, I'm just saying, like, I, 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 oh my gosh, I think of all these films that deserve to get in. Like, I really want Jackie to get in. I and and now more and more as the season progresses and all these other films start to emerge, like Hidden Figures, and I, I keep saying it, but we're gonna we're gonna get to it. Patriots Day. Um, I feel like a film like Jackie just starts to lose steam. At a certain you don't point, say. <laughs> I know, I know, you and I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give you credit yet, Michael. But yes, I will say though about Jackie again to bring it back to the election. After what we just saw, I think Natalie Portman's chances do boost up a little bit as we think about what it means to have dignity in the White House. And I'm also going to just say, too, because I'm finding this a lot, every single article that I'm reading online about every single film, and I mean like every single film people are trying to find a way to tie every single film into the election somehow some way or another uh, it's like i heard somebody the other day talking about you know arrival moonlight fences patriots day everybody's trying to make this about the election fantastic beast moana yeah everything has to be about the election it seems like i look that forward to the thing piece about connecting l to the election uh, don't be disrespectful towards women. There, I did it. Done. 
you know, it, it just seems like this election has crossed off so many boxes in terms of people that it has impacted that almost every single film now resonates with somebody to one degree or another. Even Florence Foster Jenkins has a connection to it. See, there you go. <laughs> you have like how fame and fortune blinds you of whatever you're trying to look for in society. Man. Uh, let's let's uh, I, I've already alluded to it enough. Let's move over to Patriots Day. Patriots Day closed out the AFI Fest. Michael, what was the word? Yeah, so it closed AFI, and the reception seems to be that, like Peter Berg's two previous films, Lone Survivor and Deepwater Horizon, the later of which just opened this year as well, it's a film about patriotism, as the title suggests, heroism, and just people stepping up to do the right thing under extraordinary circumstances. This film seems like it might connect with more people than something like Deepwater, because it takes place right in Boston, a community that, I mean, it's it's America. People, This is an American film at heart, it seems like. And Boston is one of our biggest cities. So I think people are going to be able to look at it on more of a personal level than something that takes place in the Gulf of Mexico or over in the Middle East, which was Lone Survivor. The reception seemed to be very good. People were saying that it might be Berg's best work as a director. Uh, Mark Wahlberg got some nice notices as well. So I think this might check off the so-called American sniper slot that we had a few years ago. It's going to have that rah-rah patriotism to it, but not where it's overwhelming from the looks of it. So yeah, I think we could see this in a best picture lineup. Maybe not acting necessarily, but possibly below the line. We have uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross doing the score. That could get a little bit of traction. So I'm interested to hear what you two think about the film after this reception. So Feinberg is predicting the film as a definitely Best Picture nominee. He's also predicting it to be a strong SAG ensemble contender. You know, we talked about supporting actor contenders earlier. I'm not sure anyone from this film gets in, but apparently John Goodman, J.K. Simmons, and Kevin Bacon each have standout scenes. And it's apparently very much an ensemble piece, as well as some of the unknowns like Jimmy Yang who are in the film. So I think performance-wise, I don't see any of them getting in, but it's we shouldn't write off any of its performances. Uh, apparently the sound design is very good as well. And Michael mentioned the meat and potatoes voters going for Hidden Figures. I think the meat and potatoes voters go for this, too. It apparently is very emotional, hits you in the feels. It's timely, certainly. You know, everybody wants to feel good about their country, and it sounds like it's a film that can do that. And if it does get that, it has that same weekend in January that has been very financially lucrative, basically for at least one film every year for the past five years or so. The America film. It was Sniper two years ago, and last year, even though it's not an Oscar player, there was uh, 13 hours. Yeah, and then there was uh, there was Lone Survivor in 2013. Oh, yeah, Peter Berg movie. Zero Dark Thirty a few years before that. I mean, it's... It's a good weekend for that kind of film. Wow. Yeah, I and they almost always gross $100 million, if not more. I, I think this could be a big success. I think we should not... I don't think it wins anything, certainly not. But I think it is one we should not count out for nominations. Definitely. Oh, two performances I forgot to mention from the reception. I don't think they get nominated, but it's a big standout scene between uh, Condi Alexander, who's on Scandal. She plays a police interrogator here. And Melissa Benoist, who uh, she was in Whiplash for a couple of scenes. She's also on uh, Supergirl and Glee. 
she plays the wife of one of the bombers being interrogated. Oh, is that that scene in the trailer where she's like, you ain't got shit, sweetheart? Yeah, that is, uh, it was something about freedom. And uh, it can almost be a parallel to Trump's America. Oh, my God. There we go again. More election parallels. You know it's just so in our face. You got to connect it back to the art. And <sighs> so that scene in particular might stand out for some people as a, a defining factor when they look at it. I, it comes out when? Dece- December 21st limited and goes wide, I believe, January 13th, January 20th, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's mid January. Yeah, exactly like right know. around the time of the inauguration, people are going to be seeing that scene and thinking about what their country means to them in the future of these next four years. That's going to mean a lot during the voting period. I have it in for picture, editing, sound, both sounds actually, and adapted screenplay right now. I mean. Be- oh, best original score too! How could I forget that? I've heard that it's uh, the most reserved work that uh, Reznor and uh, Ross have done yet. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't think it does quite that well, but I think it definitely shows up on several categories, and I'm I'm happy to hear it. It's been a great year for Peter Berg, and I am happy to see him succeed. You know, I'm happy to have a film that's patriotic without being overly political and in your face about its agenda. And it seems like this is that film. Speaking of political films, uh, we have O.J. Made in America, you know, that do- seven-hour documentary, which is going to be competing with 13th for the win this year. They're both very political. He's moving into the world of features with the long-gestating Ballad of Richard Jewell starring Jonah Hill in one of his, I, one of his first serious leading man roles about the Olympic security guard who discovered a bomb at the Atlanta Olympics and subsequently saw his life ruined because he became the chief suspect, even though he saved many people's lives by finding that bomb. I believe Clint Eastwood was attached for a long time, but left for one reason. That seems right up his alley. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it sounded like a Clint film. But this, uh, this OJ's made, OJ Made in America's director is taking over, and... I know people are hoping Jonah Hill can give a good performance, maybe, who knows, get a third Oscar nomination. So it's an interesting story. I look forward to seeing how it turns out. And we'll see how that director fares in narrative films. You know, you've seen documentary directors range from good to mediocre to great in when they switch to features. I know recently, I think it was James Marsh, jump from Project Nim to the Theory of Everything, which a lot of people liked. So, yeah, we'll see. You know, weird directors, Mark Forster is doing a Winnie the Pooh movie. Is that an odd choice? With a script by Alex Ross Perry. He, he did a Queen of Earth with Elizabeth Moss a couple of years ago, and uh, that Jason Schwartzman movie that I'm totally blanking on. I'm sorry, listeners. All right, so he's... So let me get this straight. Mark Forster is doing a Christopher Robin movie. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a gritty live action Winnie the Pooh movie. What the hell does that mean? Gritty live action. Uh, Christopher Robin has grown up and is disillusioned with the world, as I understand, and returns to his cartoon characters. What? That sounds wild. <laughs> I think it's it, that's not what I understand the plot to be. I just think it'll be hilarious having the tagline be like. Um, from the director of World War Z, 
the quantum of solace in machine gun preacher comes. Don't forget the Winnie don't the forget <laughs> Don't forget that they're probably gonna just say from the director of Finding Neverland and the Kite Runner. Oh no, I know. I just think it's funnier to picture. I mean he's done some really violent films and he's doing Winnie the Pooh. Can we just say speaking of Winnie the Pooh, and I'm very interested to see where this one goes, did any of you, and I'm gonna guess not, did any of you see the two thousand eleven Winnie the Pooh? Yes. yes. Oh, really? I didn't think that would be up your alley from what we've talked about. Oh, it wasn't up my alley, but it doesn't mean I didn't see it. Oh, <laughs> did you like it? It was cute, but I, I mean, it was very insignificant. It didn't really do much for me. I think it's so sweet, and I found it so charming, that movie. I think the songs from uh, the Book of Mormon writers, and they also did Frozen. They won the Academy Award for Let It Go, and now I'm totally blanking on their name. Uh... There are songs I just found to be so charming. I wonder if they'll have any involvement with this, if there is a musical aspect. You know, sometimes sometimes you have these asides, Michael, and I'm always wondering to myself, what the fuck is he saying right now? But um, and I was wondering where you, how you were going to tie that in, and I, I'm actually, I, I actually just sat here just now in silence, and I just said to my in my mind, that was impressive. You know what? That's a good. That's actually a good good observation that they could be involved because they are egots actually yes, Kristen lopez and uh the other lopez what's his name the lopez's i don't know it's twelve thirty in the morning when we're recording this uh, forgive me for not knowing the name of the lopez's who are egots well in any event uh what else do we got going on here we've also got um forrest whitaker uh joining a, the tupac biopic which i actually thought was didn't that come out? Wasn't I guess it's not. It's not the. It's not the biopic. It's that Johnny Depp one about the detective who's trying to. Uh, he's convinced. I think that Tupac and Biggie were killed as part of a mutual conspiracy. I think it is, and he uh, makes waves in the police department and sees his career crumble over it. That actually sounds a little fascinating. Yeah, you know, because I mean, Tupac's death is still unsolved. Yeah. So I mean that that could be interesting. It's probably a little weird that I guess we did get an actual Tupac biopic this year, but after waiting years to have a Tupac film, the first major big studio Tupac film at least centers around a white dude, which is a little weird, but it hey, you know that this is an interesting take on Tupac's life, I guess. It's kind of interesting sounding. This cool. is Hollywood after all. They're always trying to, you know, insert a white man to a black person's story all the time. Case in point, Kevin Costner helping out the ladies and hidden figures. You know, this is this is this is what Hollywood does. You know, it's stupid. It makes no sense sometimes, but if they feel that the story isn't enough and uh, they they're weary, they're gonna find a way to put a white character into the story somehow to drum up more box office interest it's sad but it's it's what hollywood does a lot of times well you mentioned the kevin costner character in hidden figures isn't he a real person i assume he is yeah i mean he is don't get me wrong but it's still gonna be and i haven't even seen the film i guarantee you it's gonna be one of those things where they go to work they're mistreated by their co-workers and kevin costner is gonna be the good white boss that sets everybody straight and lets the ladies do their job you know it just 
it kind of, I don't know, it rubs me in the wrong way because it's almost like, what, these ladies can't do it on their own. They need this guy to do to help them out, essentially. I, I don't know. Whatever. That's like another issue I have sometimes with um, women in film and minorities in film. They always need like a white a white uh, character to help guide them. It just, uh, I don't, whatever. I'm moving on. Uh, Michelle Williams uh, joining uh, Janis Joplin biopic. Oh, boy. I'm excited for this, not because of the Michelle Williams aspect. Uh, I actually don't have many feelings about her being cast here. But actually because the film is actually happening after being in development for so long. Amy Adams was once attached to it. I think there was even talk of Denis Villeneuve being involved in some way. Now we have Arrival, which is pretty ironic. But what's so exciting here is that, going back to one of my all-time favorite TV shows, 30 Rock... There's an episode that aired April 2009 where Jenna Maroney, played by the great Jane Krakowski, is doing a Janis Joplin film as well. But there are all these legal rights issues to her state that they won't let the character use the name Janis Joplin. They keep having to change it, and it ends up being called Jackie Jormp Jump. <laughs> it is one of the most memorable 30 Rock uh, scenes in the history of the show. So the fact that we're actually getting this film... That's going to be about Janis Joplin, I assume, not Jackie Jump Jump. <laughs> that is uh, very exciting indeed. That is finally coming to fruition. Never seen an episode of 30 Rock. Oh, you are missing out. It is brilliant. And Will, why don't you tell them what the biggest news of the week was that had the internet lit ablaze? Yes, yeah, so two of the biggest fantasy franchises of all time are joining forces. Amelia Clark, Daenerys from Game of Thrones has joined the Han Solo film as the female lead alongside Alden Ehrenreich and Donald Glover. Um, I think that's big news as far as nerd culture goes. Amelia Clark has yet to really impress me in any of her film roles, so we'll see if that changes here, but it should be yet another factor to make people interested in the film and get butts in seats without a doubt. You know, I, I am looking forward to that film. I'm very scared about S- Disney o- d- overdoing the Star Wars brand by giving us a film literally every year. But I've always enjoyed Star Wars. I'll go see this one. Who knows? I mean, that is an interesting bit of casting. Let me ask you this question. If Marvel released only one film a year, just one Marvel film a year, would you feel better about it than getting three films a year, which we seem to be getting? Yeah, I think I think absolutely. I think the bottom line is also I do hope that Star Wars is willing to be a bit more daring. And I think they are in that they will have actual stakes to their films. You know, we saw a major character they're willing to kill off in the most recent film. So I think they already will have certain stakes to their films which hopefully means they won't feel like the same thing over and over again. But yeah, I think I would enjoy Marvel films more if we hadn't felt oversaturated in the superhero market. Because I was a big Marvel fan up through about 2012 until we just got bombarded what, by what felt like more of the same. So, But even still, it's nice to have a year or so in between Star Wars films to build up the hype. You get more excited if you have to wait two years to find out what happens next instead of just something every single year and filling out every possible 
expansion of it. It's going to take away the magic of awaiting a new Star Wars film. Agreed. Agreed. I'm not a fan of Amelia Clark myself in terms of her acting. I do think she's okay in Game of Thrones. And you know me. I'm a huge Game of Thrones nut. So, I mean, this is exciting. The project itself is exciting. Um, Chris Miller, Phil, uh, Phil Lord, right? That's their names? Yeah, yeah they're Phil great. Lord and Chris Miller. Yep. They have done extraordinary work, um, in my opinion, that has far exceeded my expectations that I – ever thought so i do think that this film is in good hands and i think the casting so far is definitely intriguing to say the least look i didn't like the lego movie so much but they did a great job with the jump street movies so you have no soul the lego movie is fantastic lego movie is whatever (laughs) they they're very good at making bad ideas work well let's take a look at what could possibly be other bad ideas and let's see if they're able to make them work a couple months from now and of course I'm alluding to the trailer for Disney's live action remake of Beauty and the Beast let's take a look at that right now Papa? You must leave here this castle is alive Who's there? Do you wish to take your father's place? Come into the light Show me the girl. Look at her. What if she is the one? <gasps> the one who'll break the spell. Hello. You can talk. Well, of course he can talk. Hello. Pleased to meet you. The master's not as terrible as he appears. I'm going to make a prediction. What's that? You absolutely love this movie already, and you haven't even seen it. You know, we have a lot of films to look forward to in 2017. There's a, at the end of the year, we have Murder in the Orient Express. There's a new Paul Thomas Anderson movie. The Greatest Showman on Earth, a Hugh Jackman musical. What's not to like about that? A lot of good stuff coming out this year. But looking at the entire calendar of 2017, I don't think there's a film I'm more excited to see than this Beauty and the Beast remake from Bill Condon. Why? I am so excited by the idea of a new musical, no matter what it is, even if it's a remake. Beauty and the Beast, the original, is one of my five or ten favorite films of all time. I think Dreamgirls, the work Bill Condon did there, is extraordinary. I think the script that he wrote for Chicago is superb. He has such great ability to work within the musical genre that no matter what he does, I'm going to be the first one there, first in line to see whatever it is. Just the combination between filmmaker and story just brings so much excitement to me. I'm just the cast as well. You have Audra McDonald, uh, Kevin Klein, uh, Emma Watson starring as Belle. A lot of great actors in here. Ian McKellen as Cogsworth. 
I'm just so interested to see what they're going to be doing with the film. And the trailer just gives me a lot of hope in seeing this idea, taking the animated film and bringing it to the live-action setting, even if there is CGI inserted. It makes me a lot more hopeful that it's going to be something I end up enjoying a lot. I know you two are a little indifferent, so let's hear what you have to say. But don't rain on my parade, as Barbara Streisand once said. I really, really hope that this movie comes out and you hate it. And I hope that, that that's a I, mean thing to say. I well, hold on, hold on. Let me let me finish. I hope that you hate it, and I hope that it's a good movie. You hope that I hate it because I want to know truly if it's possible for you to hate a well-received musical. I've hated a few movie musicals now and then. Like uh, I wasn't crazy about the film adaptation of Rent, which I don't know if I would call well-received. But no, no, it wasn't. I'm talking about a well-received musical. I want to see if you ever end up in the minority. I don't think it's going to happen with this, but I'm looking forward to the day because uh, that that will be, uh, to quote a really really famous John Wayne character, that will be the day. <laughs> Well, I think you're going to have to keep on waiting. I am very, very excited to see this one. And this trailer just made me, it just raised the anticipation level a little more. I watched it three times after it came out and just swooned after seeing it the first time. It what about that just... character design? It's like, they, it looked like something out of Dark Souls. They're, ugh. Here's my take on it. Okay, so here's what I'm getting at here. Will, I understand what you mean. Now, I'm in the middle here. Um, I actually think that the trailer ticked all the right boxes of nostalgia for me and me excited to want to see the film but yeah will i am with you and that some of the designs of this f- film instead of being more inspired they seem like they are paying homage to the animated film and try to translate that to live action and as a result some of it just looks uh like it's not transitioning well enough. Like the I would have preferred that the beast was not CGI and there was actually prosthetics involved and actual makeup and they put that actor in the chair for 12 hours each day. You know what? It sucks to do that sometimes, you know, as an actor, but I think that would have been the far more effective look to go for than the CGI aspect that they're doing here. And like the the way that he looks with the horns and everything like that, it looks like something straight out of Pan's Labyrinth, honestly. Didn't people love Pan's Labyrinth, though? They did, but that was also prosthetics for the most part, and not necessarily CGI. Uh, and I think it was going for a different tone than a happy musical of Beauty and the Beast. Pan's Labyrinth is a very dark film. These The, the singing candle looks creepy in the teapot. Well, with, with Lumiere, it's a little difficult because in the film, his face is on the uh, wax part of the candle. Here, his face is uh, on the holder itself. Which it's sort of hard when you're doing the CGI live action type of thing to create a face on a thin candlestick. I agree. So I don't really see how you do it any other way with that type of character. Yeah, I'm actually in agreement with that. Uh, that is a very difficult decision. You know what I'm actually upset about? I'm upset that Gaston's arms aren't that big. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. The guy they got Luke Evans playing Gaston, and I'm like saying to myself, in theory, okay, Luke Evans is good casting, but then when I see him in the trailer, he just doesn't look as big as I imagine Gaston being. I'm I'm gonna be honest, Matt. Other than The Rock, who by the way, have, if we should mention, said he's considering a 2020 presidential run this week. Other than The Rock, is there any actor who has arms as big as Gaston did? Like. 
Luke Evans is a big guy. He'll be fine. Yeah. All right. I'm just I'm 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 poking fun for the most part, honestly. But I I I I'm not I'm not in love with this trailer, and I'm also not hating on this trailer either. I am willing to give Bill Condon a shot because I think he is more hit than miss. Yeah. Um. Gods Gods and Monsters, Kinsey, uh, Dream Girls. You know, he did a great job with the last two Twilights, also. Yeah, I hate those movies, regardless. So, oh no. Yep. <laughs> so, in, in any event, um, I'm excited for this to a certain degree. Maybe not as much as you, as you are, Michael and Will. You definitely sound like you're the lowest on this out of all of us. Yeah, but I'll go see it. I mean, I I have no reason not to, and I hope it succeeds. I just, you know, I'm I'm still having trouble getting on board with all the live action remakes. Beauty and the Beast is a great story. The original is a great film. This has potential to be very good. You know, so I, 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 it's not like I'm acting like I think it's going to suck. I just am more hesitant than Michael is, certainly. All right, Colin, that's fair. All right, and then let's check out our second trailer here on the show. We've got um, a film that, if I remember correctly, was supposed to be released this year, but it got pushed off to next year. It never really had a set date. It was There was some talk about maybe a late December release. Gotcha. This here is the Jessica Chastain film called The Zookeeper's Wife. Good morning. Enjoy yourselves today. out of their homes. They're taking us all to the ghetto. Thousands of people are dying. The littlest of children. We have room. We could hide them. Bring as many as you can. All the terrible time you must have had. German troops come every morning. You can't make a sound. <laughs> Mama? Have you been keeping secrets from me? No one knows how hard it is. You can never tell who your enemies are. Or who to trust. Maybe that's why I love animals so much. You look in their eyes. And you know exactly what's in their hearts. What have you been up to in your little zoo? Well, let me put it to you, let me put it to you this way. If a Holocaust film is coming out in the springtime, chances are it's not that good. And judging by this trailer, it seems like it's one of those constructed trailers to make you think that this is a good film, but 
something about it to me just seems off, whether it's pacing issues or if it's sappy melodrama. I'm not exactly sure, but I'm not getting a good vibe from this. I do think Jessica Chastain, though, looks exquisite, though, as she always is, and I love her to death. But, yeah, this film doesn't seem to... It's not working for me here. Yeah, I mean, I don't see this being a major contender. Um, I am glad that... um, Ian McEwen, whatever. Uh, what's what's Roose Bolton's actor's name? Uh, I'm glad he, from Michael Ayrton. Michael Ayrton. I'm glad he's getting some feature film roles. Uh, Johan Heidelberg looks solid. Jessica Chastain's always good. I don't see this being a major contender. You know, could it could be worth seeing i don't see it making much of an impact on the oscar race michael you know i always uh save a special place for holocaust films no matter the quality of anything i just uh, something i respond to on an emotional level just having uh, ancestral history obviously yeah, 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 yeah i, I completely understand that Right, that's what I was trying to say about it. Not that I know a family who is in the Holocaust. It's just a thing that's very personal. So no matter what the film is, I'll always go in with an open mind. And watching this trailer, yes, it looks sentimental, and I get why some people might be turned off by that. But I think, like we said, Jessica Chastain looks exquisite. The animals are adorable. And it's just a story that might be worth telling. Is it a true story, or is it based on just a Yes, it is a true story. Okay, well, right there is a reason that I think a lot of people might go to see it. Just looking in my circles and my community, people who automatically see a film that's about the Holocaust and go to see it for educational purposes, there probably will be an audience for this in the spring, regardless of the quality or Oscar prospects. So in that regard, yeah, I'm very eager to see what it presents. This trailer just uh, sets up the story, and we'll see where it goes when it opens in March. So I will say, though, it does not guarantee a being a Holocaust film doesn't guarantee it makes money. You know, you look at uh, the boy in the striped pajamas even got decent reviews and did not make much of a dent. It, I mean, it made like 40 million worldwide. So it did not make much of a dent at all at the box office. I think it, the railway man came and went a few years ago. I think this could also easily be something. I think the book's kind of popular. But it could easily be something that comes, goes, doesn't make a whole lot of money and is forgotten about. You know what I will say? There was a film a couple of years ago called The Book Thief. Did any of you see it? I've read the book. I never saw the film. Yeah. uh, And there's a film. It might be similar to this one in terms of that uh, Holocaust setting. And it's not directly about the Holocaust itself, but the people who were sort of uh, on the sidelines at the time. And uh, I will say I was not a fan of that one at all. So I know a lot of people who were, so it might vary here. If sentimentality is not your cup of tea, then it seems as if this might not be the one for you. I don't know that because I haven't seen the film, but hey, you know, we'll see when it opens. All right. Well, that'll pretty much just about do it here uh, for this episode, episode 12 of the Next Best Picture podcast. Uh, Before we go... Will, Michael, anything else that you guys want to say about the Oscar race? I think we've pretty much covered it all. 
Um, I will say this really quickly. Independent uh, Spirit Award nominations are uh, going to be done uh, this week or next week. I can't – November They're, they're, they're on Tuesday. It's usually right before Thanksgiving. They are this coming Tuesday. Oh, gotcha. Oh, okay. Well, I expect uh, Moonlight, Manchester um, – Hell or high water, actually. I think it's eligible. So I, I'm not 100 percent sure. Is that an American film, Hell or High Water? Yes. You know what? That's a really good question. I would have said yes, it is, but I'm not 100 percent. David McKenzie. It might have a British backing. Hmm. I it was all shot in America, though. Like yeah, but it, it, the financing might be a little differently. That's where sometimes it gets a little tricky. You know. It's always weird what they consider eligible. Like, Silver Linings Playbook got in here, which some years... I mean, that that's a $20 million plus budget. It's not really indie at that point. So some years they'll... Well, like Harvey just worked his magic. Yeah. Will La La Land get in here, or is that going to be considered too high profile? Is that technically indie? Like, it'll be interesting to see what constitutes indie this year. Okay. Uh, by the way, Hell or High Water is American. Ah, all right. So I think we'll see a big presence for that here. Yeah, I think so. I don't think that we're going to see much of a presence for uh, Jackie. I do think 20th Century Women will show. Uh, I don't know if Jackie's eligible. I think that's the same thing with uh, what we thought with Hell or High Water. I think that's Chilean. Right. And I think that 20th Century Women probably shows up here, if I had to take a wild guess. Oh, yeah. I haven't even seen the film, but just from the trailer and from what I've heard, that seems like a big and bending player. It's fantastic. You'll love it. All right. Well, with that said, then, um, I look forward to those nominations, as I'm sure you guys do as well. Um, Michael, where can they find you on the Internet? You can find me on Twitter at Mike Movie. And Will, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. And you can find me at nextbestpicture.com. Thank you, everybody, for listening to episode 12 of the Next Best Picture podcast. Be sure to drop us a comment, rate us on iTunes, send us in some feedback. Let us know if you want to be on the show. By all means, we would love to have uh, you on. We're very, very open to the suggestion. With that said, I want to thank you all for listening, and we will see you all next time. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.